Welcome to the Art of Being a Mum podcast, where I, Alison Newman, a singer, songwriter and Aussie mum of two, enjoys honest and inspiring conversations with artists and creators about the joys and issues they've encountered while trying to be a mum and continue to create. You'll hear themes like the mental juggle, changes in identity, how their work's been influenced by motherhood, mum guilt, cultural norms, and we also stray into territory such as the patriarchy, feminism, and capitalism. You can find links to my guests and topics we discuss in the show notes, along with a link to the music played, how to get in touch, and a link to join our supportive and lively community on Instagram. I'll always put a trigger warning if we discuss sensitive topics on the podcast, but if at any time you're concerned about your mental health, I urge you to talk to those around you, reach out to health professionals, or seek out resources online. I've compiled a list of international resources which can be accessed on the podcast landing page, alisonnewman.net slash podcast. The Art of Being a Mum would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and water which this podcast is recorded on as being the Boendick people in the Berrin region of South Australia. I'm working on land that was never ceded. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. It is a pleasure to welcome you from wherever you are in the world, whether this is your first episode or your 81st. Thank you so much for being along for the ride. I've just come back from a week away with the family in a city called Ballarat, which is about three hours away from where I live here in Mount Gambier. It's over in Victoria and it was lovely to be out of my own space, somewhere completely different, enjoying the sunshine, swimming, being a tourist and sightseeing and spending a lot of time with the family. Although the car trips with the two boys in the back were always a bit of fun and the huge pile of washing that we've accumulated now that we're home is also great. I'm sure many of you can relate. But nevertheless, today I'm very excited to welcome Holly Norman to the podcast. Holly is a percussionist, a singer, a songwriter and musician from Perth in Western Australia and she's a mum of one. When Holly was growing up, her dad used to listen to big band jazz records at home. And early on, Holly was listening regularly to classic swing and big bands such as Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong and so on. At the age of 11, a self-confessed late starter, Holly took up the drums. She went through high school and university as a dyed-in-the-wool classical percussionist. And back then, you couldn't have paid her to get behind a drum set. Once she started playing in bands in her mid-twenties, Holly realised that there was a whole world of music that could become accessible to her if she moved over to the drums. And so that's what she did. As a musician, Holly has worked with the likes of the Cat Empire, Ash Grunwald, the Australian String Quartet and the West Australian and Canberra Symphony Orchestras. Holly's also released an EP of her own work entitled Holly Pop, which is available through Bandcamp, and you can find that through the link in the show notes. Holly spent 10 years as an event producer and arts manager, working on some amazing projects like the Melbourne International Jazz Festival, the Perth Pride Parade, and the Perth International Jazz Festival. Holly is also passionate about health and wellness, practicing yoga for over 15 years, and she's now a yoga teacher. Musicians need so many different types of mobility and functional and postural support to play their instrument, so Holly developed the Yoga for Drummers sessions, which can be found via the link in the show notes. 
This episode contains discussions around miscarriage and loss. The music you'll hear on today's episode is from Holly herself. There's a little bit of Holly solo on her piano, self-accompanied, and with her behind the drum set for her jazz quartet. Thanks again for tuning in. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I hope you enjoy my chat with Holly. so much for coming on today Holly and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah it's a real pleasure. So we were just chatting before we hit record that you're in Perth um, and the massive time difference between Perth and the rest of Australia. (laughs) So it's it's 12 o'clock here. What time is it over there? It's 9.30 a.m. Yes it's a three-hour time difference in summer. Yeah that's massive isn't it? Yeah it is yeah. Yeah, Does we've just um we just got back from Canberra a couple of days ago. So my my husband's family lives there, so we spent Christmas yep. there. Um and yeah, luckily it actually didn't hit us too hard with the sort of body clock adjustment for my daughter who's two and a half. Oh um, yeah. yeah. I was expecting it to be more of a pain. Um, but as soon as she got back in her own bed, she just has slept like a dream. So that's yeah, really, oh, that's really nice actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a consideration. Cause I know like you we were saying you don't have daylight savings there, but whenever the clocks change here, like there's this whole big yeah, thing about how do we manage daylight savings with the kids totally. bedtime? Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. we we had our daughter in Melbourne, so the first 18 oh. months of um, her life we were there. So, yeah, we did have yep. to do a little bit of that when she was still a baby and napping and I remember trying to adjust to like how do you get them to think it's an hour later or an hour earlier, like starting <laughs> the naps like 15-minute increments. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. And the other kids just, they just click into it. Like, you know, like, I don't know, yeah. they're just bizarre. Like, cause I've got two kids and they're just completely different. So yeah, yeah you just never know what, what's going to happen, do yeah, you? Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, dear me. musician you do some other things too but is musician your first sort of passion your first love yeah it definitely is my first love it's interesting the whole kind of I guess the topic of like how you identify yourself because (laughs) I haven't made I haven't tried to make my living from playing music for a really long time that was sort of a a deliberate choice um I had a day job for the last oh I want to say 10 years as a event producer and arts manager Mm -hmm. Um, So I sort of did that as like a nine to five. Um, But, yeah, the music part has always been there um, since I was, yeah, in high school really. it's Mm -hmm. I would say it's like the great love of my life for sure, still is, even more so now like coming out of the pandemic and and rediscovering music and what it means to me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's definitely the the main thing. Yeah. Do you remember how you first got into music? Yeah, it's funny. I was actually talking to someone about this yesterday. We were talking about Disney movies because my daughter's just entered like the Frozen phase, the Elsa yeah. phase. <laughs> um, 
Um, I reckon Disney is like the reason that I'm I took up music. Um, yeah. I loved the the way that it could merge narrative with musical form. Mm-hmm. Um, that and yeah, when I went to high school, I went to a school that was um, specialist music. Um, so we did a lot a lot of music there. And when I arrived, I was sort of felt like I was a little bit behind the other kids because there were lots of lots of families and lots of children that came from these big like classical music sort of dynasty families and had been listening to records and like knew all this repertoire yeah. and I didn't really have that kind of an upbringing like I there was lots of music played in our family home for sure like I was brought up on you know all of the sort of classics um but nothing classical music so when I went mm-hmm. into that style of studying and that sort of foundation of of learning music um, I used to take myself into the state library actually on a Saturday morning. I was such a nerd um, and like listen to records um, of like, you know, Beethoven and yeah, symphonies to try to catch up on all of the learning that I felt like I'd missed. Um, I was, yeah, I was just really obsessed by that, the sort of properties of music telling a story and Star Wars and big scores and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. It was, <laughs> yeah, stuff that I just, I, I loved it, like the kind of majesty of it all. Yeah. When you say about Star Wars, um, I've got, I keep like things that inspire me. I can yeah, my head. yeah, I've I can got, see I on the wall behind you. Because I just yeah. love how you can hear a tiny tune and relate that to a character oh, and relate that totally. to a whole storyline and then you're just taken into this whole world. Like I yeah. just find that so amazing. I just love that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 My first instrument was actually the flute um, yep. and I was the world's worst flute player. Um, so when I was a child, you could have opened a can with my face. Like I had <laughs> such a pronounced overbite. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, had a, I had a full year of flute lessons with a very, very patient, lovely woman um, yep. who at the end of the year took my mother aside and politely said, Holly has musical aptitude, but I think it's best if she were to play an instrument that doesn't require her mouth as, you know, yes. as an embouchure. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't make a sound oh. after a full year of lessons. And that flute teacher specifically said, um, for some reason, take her to have have um, lessons with this teacher who teaches uh, per, per, percussion. Oh. Um so, yeah, that was the instrument because, you know, you just hit it. So you don't need big lungs. You don't need an embouchure. You don't need to use your mouth. She was obviously yeah. thinking that I was rubbish at all of those things. Um, <laughs> I, just write you off. <laughs> yeah, like I, I guess that's like the instrument sort of found me by like being disqualified from other instruments. Um, yeah, and then right. I, yeah, I just I really fell in love with it. It's it's quite physical, I suppose, percussion, um, mm-hmm. which I enjoy. There's like, you know, you're striking the instrument. Um and the the variety of it really appealed to me. So I'm I'm a sort of being multi-passionate is a pretty core facet of my personality. Yeah. Um so with percussion, you know, we we never really had to choose one instrument. Like you can have you play snare drums, xylophone, vibraphone, bass drum, clash cymbals, timpani, like you get to play everything at the back of the orchestra and that mm-hmm. that really appealed to me, I think. Um being able to sort of jump from one thing to the other. Mm, yeah. yeah, and it keep keep things interesting too. Like totally, you're not yeah. just sitting on the same instrument day after day. Yeah, yeah. And I think also another another big thing that I got from like those early years sitting at the back of the orchestra is that you know percussionists they don't play for most of the time. Um, you know, it's like an icing on the cake philosophy. You really are there for like the one or two percent um, of you know the moments where the music becomes really exciting or you know that sort of skill of just listening um, I think is something that's really carried through to my adult years and to the musician that I became because, 
yeah, it's just a lot of listening to other people play their parts. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, yeah, trying to fulfil that that role, yeah. Yeah, because that's it, isn't it? It's like when when something interesting is happening in the music, whether, like you said, it's really big or something really small, like whether it's like the xylophone or one of those twinkly chime things or something like yeah, it's when exactly. something interesting is yeah. happening I've actually always wanted like because I'm a musician myself um but I, I've always wondered like when I've seen um orchestras play like the the, the person up the back on the on the percussion like they're mm-hmm. waiting for their turn yes like do you <laughs> it's like this big dramatic a long thing. time 45 um, 50 minutes oh man <laughs> but do you sort of do you have to read the music the whole time to know where you are? Like, do you ever get scared you're going to get lost? Like, here comes your big bit and you're like, oh, is it my turn? Like, do you ever get that or is it, I mean, I suppose it would, for someone who's just stepped into it, you'd be like panicking, but I guess because you've rehearsed it that many times. But have you ever had that moment where you go, oh, I'm coming up now, but I'm not exactly sure where it is or, you know. Oh, totally. I mean, look, but- it's, I guess generally when you have a long period of rest, you know, you get you get to know what what's happening in that gap. Um, yeah. So yeah, you you usually know, and like that's why when I said I used to go to the library and listen to records, I just used to kind of like rote learn an entire piece of music um, and just listen to it a lot. Again, yeah. I was such a nerd. I had like I stayed at home when I had braces for about two and a half years, and I had no social confidence as a teen. Oh. So I used to put on I used to play PlayStation but I'd turn down the game volume and put on like Gershwin um, and just memorize memorize the whole thing <laughs> what a juxtaposition so, yeah, I know so weird um but yeah generally by, by the time that I got to playing that sort of stuff I usually knew where I was but having yeah. said that I, I've fallen asleep on the stage of the Perth concert hall um and, yeah, right. and very very nearly missed an entry um because I'm have a weird like borderline narcolepsy it's not a a full narcolepsy but when I'm seated I can lose consciousness pretty easily if I'm not doing something so I I often like will sleep in a meeting in class in school I'll sleep chronically it's it's horrible I've slept in jury duty um so yeah Yeah. on stage just with a really really long time of rest it doesn't I was sitting there like in my full concert blacks people in the choir stores behind me peering over my shoulder and yeah I was basically passed out and very very nearly missed an entry Oh gosh! Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's not man. a great feeling. <laughs> no. Oh my goodness. You can play a few different instruments. What else can you play? Uh, so I play a little bit of ukulele, definitely not a wizard at it. Um, mm. And I play a bit of piano, so I'm just self-taught on piano and keys as well. I, I write most of my own songs on the keyboard. That's sort of the medium that I prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would have loved to have probably been more competent on piano, um, but it just wasn't. I sort of had quite a late start with music. Like I only started playing percussion when I was about 11 um so it wasn't something that I ever really did as a kid a a younger child um but yeah I would and I play mostly drum set now like you know after all that talk about like playing in orchestras and playing percussion I'd probably define myself more now as as a drummer Mm -hmm. um that was a transition that happened in my 20s and I sort of started to 
yeah, just relate more to the kind of musical styles and 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 settings that I could play in just on drum set, which is mostly jazz. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say mostly drummer, percussionist. Uh, I sing as well. Again, I would never, I would never say I'm a singer. Um, <laughs> I sing, I sing my own songs. Yeah. Um, I like singing a bit of backing vocals, but I'm definitely, I can't belt. Would never get up and do a covers gig. It's just not how I sort of identify. <laughs> So when you say you write, um, like is it you're writing in the jazz style? Is that the sort of songs Um, you write? Oh gosh, not necessarily. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a bit of a folky at heart, really. Um, Yeah. yeah, So I I would say singer songwriter folk pop is sort of the main style that I write in. But then since I've been playing more drums, something I've always sort of struggled with creatively is like finding the right performance context or what what instrument am I actually going to play mm-hmm. um because I drums is my first instrument but you can't really accompany yourself as a soloist if you're playing drums um so the band that I play with now over here um I play drums and I sing from behind the drum set it's my compositions but then they've mm-hmm. been rearranged in like more of a jazz style and I've got a bass player a keyboard player and a saxophone player um, yeah, cool. so yeah really it just depends on the context I suppose like I did a house concert um in December and that was lovely because I was just playing solo piano a bit of ukulele and that was like very intimate um so yeah that's not something that I do very often um Mm -hmm. and I felt pretty bad because the morning after that house concert I woke up with COVID and then had given COVID to six people at a house concert so I felt horrific about it um but yeah that's I I guess it just depends on the context really Um, yeah 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 a little bit of everything yeah, cool. And you also, you, you talked a bit before about your um, arts and event project management that it's sort yeah. of been the day job. Um, yeah. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that and what you do with that. Yeah, so I've actually, I've sort of recently, I'm, I'm in the middle of a bit of a career transition at the moment. So I, I've done like arts management as my sort of day job, yeah, for like I said, about 10 years. Um, I got into it because I think a lot of musicians once you know, I, I went to, you know, uni for music, so I went to WAPA. Um, and like a lot of sort of tertiary educated musicians, if you want to make a living from music, you often end up doing a lot of teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came out of, of uni and I started doing quite a lot of instrumental teaching and I just felt like it wasn't really the right fit for me. And I, I felt quite strongly that if you're going to be in that position of, you know, influencing a child's relationship with music, that you should really care about being there. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't like teaching. I actually really enjoyed it and I still, mm-hmm. I, I'd still be open to some teaching, but I feel like the framework of a school and the way the instrumental music was taught in schools, just, it just didn't really resonate with how I wanted to teach and, and how I felt mm-hmm. like kids should be connecting with music. So I was looking for something else to do, I suppose, that could make money um, and be a sort of crust. Um, and, yeah, I'd, I'd always liked being really organized um and I liked making things happen and yeah I, I yeah I just sort of fell into it like I started working with the youth, youth the youth orchestra here and went on working with started working with arts organizations and then sort of went into festivals and just yeah climbed up from sort of smaller roles to working as a producer and a, a programmer um a lot of that was when I was in Melbourne I really focused on that sort of festival work and like working on the national festival circuit it's yeah, it's a chapter of my life that I would probably consider is coming to a slow end because I'm I'm studying counselling now, so I'm halfway yeah. through a, a master's in counselling. Um, and, yeah, I guess like just, you know, during the pandemic and watching the way that the Australian arts community was placed, yeah, it, festival work is 
uh, it can really yeah, chew you up and spit you out. It's mm. long hours, um, not necessarily super family friendly. So I was sort of looking for a way to transition out of that work. But, yeah, making that decision, which was only about six months ago, um, it was a really, really tough choice. Like it's hard to step away from something that you really do love and I, yeah. I still love it. Like, you know, it's incredible work. You're working with people that just care so much um, and making things happen really getting blood out of a stone like working with almost next to no budget um which is difficult at times and I think that was also part of the quandary for me ethically as someone you know in the music community as well as a performer I thought Mm -hmm. I'm I'm finding myself in a situation where I'm often having to ask people for to do things for less than I feel they're worth Mm, um and that made me feel like as someone that you know sort of has a presence where I often talk about well-being and and the arts industry. Mm. I don't. I just didn't want to feel like I was feeding into that problem. I suppose um, yeah. of people working for less than they're worth because I do feel like that's part of the issue. Um, yeah, yeah. So I thought yeah. I'll just pull back on that for the time being. Focus on being a musician again, um, and focus on studying and and working with people in 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 health. I'm glad you raised that issue about the um, the pandemic and how the arts were perceived and how they were treated. And if any regular listeners will know they'll hit they've heard this before. I just get so cross and so angry about how the sport kept going like yeah the, exactly the, the footy players were moving oh, all around the country and all these bubbles and whatever yeah. and it's like well, everything else that you know it was like that's the only thing of value because that brings in I the know. most money you know yeah and I just I just kept saying to people but everyone's sitting at home watching Netflix you know who do you think made yeah. made all this stuff you know the arts created all of it and everyone and it was just really it made me so mad and it still makes me mad Um, And, yeah, and the thing too, even before all that happened, like I've been a a performer just in my my town here for, you know, I don't know, I'm 44 now. It's been a long time. Um, And the attitude towards um, performers is like they expect you to do stuff for nothing and this whole thing of, oh, it's great exposure. And it's like Mm. the amount of times I've heard that bullshit and, I've gotten better as, at it as I've gotten older. Just to yeah, say, totally. no, sorry, if you're not going to pay me this such whatever this amount is, I'm I'm sorry, I can't do it. You yeah. know, and it's it makes me so cross. And then so they'll just it won't change anything because they'll just go get the next young kid who's just excited about a gig I and know. just take advantage of them. Um, yeah, that whole thing just makes me really mad. <laughs> it's so hard, and I mean, I think for me my boundaries have always been like fairly strong because I had worked on the other side of the fence and I understood how much budget organisations usually did have to allocate, which is not heaps. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you are worrying about, you know, quoting 200 bucks versus 500, like just Mm -hmm. quote 500 because they can usually afford to pay it. Like I guess I had a level of insight from working on the other side of like managing budgets for organisations. But Mm -hmm. um I think being a mum, becoming a parent is the ultimate, like, line in the sand of really having to learn, you know, it's not only the, the financial value of, of an opportunity but, like, the, the energy value of an opportunity and, like, mm. 
Mm. What what's it costing your family and your household for you to be out of the house for six hours and for there to not be food in the fridge or to not get yeah. any of the other stuff done that you need to get done? Mm. Um, but yet, having said that, I certainly don't get it right all the time. And it's, I mean, I've I've only been really, I've only had to be a parent and be in the regular world for less than twelve months because Matilda was born in April of twenty twenty. Um, yeah. So you know, most of her life was in the Melbourne lockdowns, which were some of the toughest. Mm. Um, and we didn't have a regular life at all until we came to WA and then very abruptly had this like pre-pandemic existence, which was like difficult to stomach um, yeah, at the time. Yeah. Such a huge culture shock from the way that we have been living. So, yeah, just even like balancing a social life with work and study and gigs and having a kid, that's only, mm. I would say I've only been, I've only had a year of experience, even though she's two and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so what took you to Western Australia? Yeah, so I'm, I was born here mm-hmm. um, and I lived most of my life here. I love it over here. I've always been a big advocate and, like, very Perth proud for the arts community. Um, yeah. There's some great people over here, even though it is very isolated from the rest of the world and the rest mm-hmm. of the country. Um, and then I'd moved, uh, what year was it, Twenty end of 2015, I think I met my now husband, and he had been living in the US studying over there. He'd moved back to Australia and he'd been based in Sydney. He then moved to Melbourne. We basically met, we went on one day and we started, we were like, let's have a long-distance relationship. <laughs> <laughs> then I moved up to Darwin, so I left Perth oh. and w- went up to Darwin for a festival contract. Um, and then after that I moved to Melbourne and we were there for about six years together. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, was, it wasn't the plan to move to Perth um, when we did. I think that was one of those, you know, sort of sliding door scenarios that so many families experienced during the pandemic. It was, mm. I think the hard border with WA, I got to a point where it was causing me, I would say, real trauma to not be able to come in. Um, we tried five times to get in. I had pretty severe postnatal depression after my daughter was born. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was just a horrible feeling really to have everyone over here and I feel a really strong connection to the to the land over here and like to country and it was just mm. just knowing that it was something that was prohibited and and a lot of the attitudes that I felt were being displayed towards us of being like dirty Victorians and like don't come in and like mm-hmm. there was this total xenophobia that was yeah was revolting. Yeah. yeah, I've yeah. seen, I've seen, I've, I would say I've seen a side of WA that I can't unsee. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, it's been like a bit of a rocky road to rebuilding that relationship with somewhere that I always loved and and said was my home before. But mm. yeah, we, I think we basically just got to a point where we didn't have any family in Melbourne. So my husband, like I said, was from Canberra. My family's here in Perth. Yeah. Um, you know, Melbourne at the time during COVID, it, it wasn't what it had been. And I, we were sort of looking at each other saying, you know, how long will it take for it to rebuild to what it was in terms of mm. the the art space? Um, and I think we just wanted somewhere that we could live with more family support. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah, it was just, it was so wild. It was, we made that decision so quickly, really. Yeah. When I look back on it, it's, I often reflect that it's kind of remarkable that we made a good decision in in the place that we were mentally like we were really we were in survival mode big time Mm -hmm. um yeah when we got here it was just like having a lot of panic attacks and really 
it all just had to come out at some point. Like it was, yeah. it was tough over there, that start part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, it, I think it has been the right choice for sure. Um, and my husband as well was in the military band. He's a, he's a saxophone player. So he was playing in the air force band. Yeah. Right. Um, when we lived in Melbourne, which sort of, that was like the equivalent, I suppose, of like doing a full-time nine to five. So it was like relatively mm-hmm. secure, but he didn't have heaps of freedom outside of that job to pursue other creative stuff. So I think now uh, that we're yeah. here, we're sort of, we've regained a balance of being both a portion freelance, you know, and a portion teaching or doing other work and for me study. So it, mm-hmm. it feels like a better balance for us to both have that flexibility. And that's something that we're only really able to do because we've got the family support with a young child. Yeah. No, it, it, yeah. It's massive, isn't it? How much difference it makes when you've got that. Yeah. That support. Um, when you were saying before about the, this dirty Victorian mentality, yeah. <laughs> where, where I live, um, my town's Mount Gambier, we're about 20 minutes yeah, drive yeah. from the border, yeah, so super South close, Australia, yeah. Victoria, and the, the amount of abuse that Victorians copped, like it, people would, it oh, became man. like I worked with a, there was a, because you had to have all these permits to cross the border. Like, I know. For anyone yeah. that, that doesn't know, it was pretty full on. Um, so people that, there was a lady that I worked with who was Victorian and um, she said she would cop abuse. People would see her number plate mm-hmm. in the car park at Coles and would just abuse, get out That's of here, revolting. bring over your virus. Like it was just disgusting. Oh, and their people God. were part of our community basically. You know, they work here. It's horrible. Spend yeah. their money here. But then they happen to live yeah. in a little tiny little, like basically a rural little thing just over the border. Um, yeah. And, it, yeah, it was really horrible. It was horrible. Yeah, it was, totally. It, yeah, like you said, this whole new side of, of people, the way people oh, were man. ostracising people. Oh, totally. It's it hard. Yeah, foul. it's, it's yeah. hard to think back on it. Like a lot of I feel like I sort of just blank a lot of it out. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it was. And, I mean, WA obviously had the, you know, the, proudly the world's hardest border. Oh, he like, built the wall, <laughs> didn't he? He's going to build a wall. Um, you know, I can kind oh, of laugh about it now, but it, like there's yeah. like oh, yeah. like my heart's like like silently clenching still as we talk about it. Like it's yeah. it's still, it's totally still hard to think about. Um, yeah. But, you know, having said that, when we got here, I did understand, I suppose, from the side of people that were here, why they were pleased in a way to have that protection because they were, you know, artists were able to live relatively unencumbered like they didn't Mm. have to shut down in the same way that you know certainly that that Melbourne did so yeah I I do get it but yeah it's just it's just a whole chapter of life that I'm so glad is over yes (laughs) yeah 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 absolutely So you're also into the wellness um, side of things. Yeah. You do your yoga and I guess that's where your counselling sort of coming in to things. Yeah. 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 You've been practising yoga for a long time. Yeah, I have. Um, I, oh, I want to say I sort of got into it like a lot of, you know, yoga people, um, got into it just for exercise. That was when I was in my early 20s. Um, and I remember going to classes and the, the, um, the teacher would, 
spend ages on the breathing and I'd mentally have this dialogue of like, can you hurry up and get to the fast-paced stuff? <laughs> like get to the poses. Yeah. Um, I'm here to, you know, get a workout on. And it's so funny now because as a teacher now, I'm a yoga teacher and, yeah. you know, after what, 15 years of practising, the breathing is my favourite part and I would happily <laughs> spend two hours in one shape. Like yeah. I don't, I'm not in a hurry. The way that I've, my home practice has completely changed. Um, yeah. You know, I love a slow hatha as opposed to like a fast vinyasa with a million mm-hmm. chaturangas. But yeah, yeah it was yeah. sort of something that I got into it and I'd never done any real movement training. I'd never did dance or anything like that. But I, when I was at uni, I had a bit of um, like RSI and performance injuries, you know, stemming from how many hours of practice I was doing when I was first studying. So I started mm-hmm. going to Pilates and that was helpful to understand I suppose, my physicality and like how my muscles worked and, you know, being a relatively petite female and playing an instrument that's traditionally made for, you know, German men like classical percussion. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it was just helpful to understand how to support my body and what what mm-hmm. sort of strength I needed to build in sort of muscles and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so I sort of just started and then kept going and, I did something called Yoga for Drummers a few years ago, which I'd sort of like to start getting that going again. So I had a YouTube class and I did a few workshops as well. You know, drummers are, like all musicians, I would say not hugely on top of looking after their health on any level. Um, But, you know, it's just it's so easy to injure yourself. And I've Mm. met so many musicians in their sort of later years, like, you know, 50s, who say, oh, you know, I wrecked my hearing and I never wore earplugs and yeah. I've got a chronic back pain and it's like all of that stuff can actually be really easily prevented. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we're starting to get a handle now, you know, sort of globally and in terms of the Australian arts community, I think there is a more of a narrative of like prevention is better than cure, you know, trying to give resources to, to younger people coming into the industry in terms of how do you look after yourself when you're out on the road? How do you eat well when you're touring? How do you combat this industry that, you know, by and large is so unregulated and requires you to work incredibly long hours and usually unwind with, you know, alcohol or drugs? Um, mm. Healthy choices aren't the first ones that you reach for on the shelf, I suppose. Mm, um, yeah. But for me, I was never somebody that I, I've always liked to have a good night's sleep. I'm a total nana. Like <laughs> even before I, I loved have, becoming a mum because I was like, finally, I feel like I'm, I'm validated in this choice. Like I've, <laughs> people aren't going to hang shit on me for like wanting to go to bed early because I've got to get up early for the child. But, but I was doing that before I was a mum. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess like, you know, just wanting to feel good and and also, mm. you know, with my own mental health, you know, yoga and well-being has been a massive tool and like essential, I think, for for managing you know my own mental well-being. So, mm. yeah, it's just been really helpful. And I think the more people that I talk to about it now, I think there's more and more musicians and artists that are like happy to have those conversations and say like, oh, I really struggle with this, or I use this, and you know, barefoot running. Like people are into all sorts of things. Um, mm, like it doesn't yeah. matter what it is, as long as you've got something that works for you, and it's just it's just trial and error. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that that whole sort of culture of you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll sort of yeah, <laughs> it's sort of gone out the window. Totally, yeah. <laughs> oh, Everyone's just funny. like drinking, you know, their booch and going to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Working on their gut health. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Ah, it's good. Um, I, I've practiced yoga for a, a long time, 
as well. And I find nowadays I just I just I do a lot of yin yoga. I just yeah, love being oh, in totally. the pose and breathing and it's like yeah. I just don't have the energy for anything else. No. Like I feel like my whole life is so busy and doing and of course and it is. Stuff. And yeah. so when I go to yoga now I'm just like, oh like just just chill out. Yeah, oh, big it's time. so I mean, different I, to how I, I used sold. To I it. sold my husband on yoga. The only way I could get him to agree to go was to explain that it's basically lying on the floor with a blanket for <laughs> seventy five minutes. So I was like, <laughs> "You can wear your PJs. Like it's yeah. very. You'll be in a flat position. Yeah, it's very chill. Yeah. yeah, and that's the other thing too. Like now, like because I used to also work in the fitness industry, so I was. It was all about what you looked like and what the latest um, fashion was and yeah. you wanted Jane and all these whatevers. And now I just literally will wear my daggiest trackies and I don't yeah. care, like, if yeah. I've got an old jumper or whatever because I know I'm not going upside down so I don't have to worry about, yeah. you know, things coming up. And it's like it's totally changed and, yeah, yeah, it's, oh. And there's actually this guy now that does classes just with breathing. All he does is breathing. Yeah. And it's like this is amazing. But, yeah. And he's actually a guy I went to school with and it would be the last person in the world I ever thought yeah, we have a you know a revelation and come come to that sort of sort of living but um yeah, yeah. it's wonderful I love it <laughs> you're listening to the art of being a mum with my mum, Alison Newman. I, I think during the early stages of the pandemic, I remember that first lockdown that everyone did, like the sort of month-long one, mm. the very, you know, March or April 2020, whenever it was. And I remember all of my musician friends, because we, everyone had got JobKeeper, so no one was worried about making ends meet because they were getting paid to stay home and not work. I the overwhelming rhetoric coming out of every single person that I knew was I am so relieved to have this time off like people were just yeah you know and obviously it got worse and it got more complicated and people wanted to go to back to work after that and they couldn't but yeah I remember that, that first industry, break it yeah. was just like a, this exhale of like wow we're just on this hamster wheel 24 7 mm-hmm. and just not only being able to not work and not have things in the calendar but giving yourself the permission to not have to be constantly practicing and hustling and looking for the next thing. I remember thinking like, wow, we're we're all going to learn so much from this. And then if I look at myself and the people around me, I think that we've struggled to implement those lessons long term, term, certainly. I feel Um, the same, yeah. 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 Because, you know, coming back and then you've got to make hay while the sun shines, right? Like that's how. Yeah, that's it, yeah. (laughs) As soon as we had the opportunity to make money and to rebuild profile and to get those opportunities sort of, you know, rolling again, we all sort of had to do that and that's unfortunately mm. how this industry works. And yeah. Yeah, so. I, I don't think there's been a return to balance really. Because no. um, I think we were all being sold too that society was ready to open up and everyone everyone wanted to get out and everyone wanted to do yeah. things. It's like, yeah. oh, we have to be there on the other side of that to yeah. meet these people, you totally. know. So there yeah. wasn't. This, yeah, like I can relate to that completely. I had, we had a, we have a thing called the, it's like the, it's not as big as the Adelaide Fringe Festival. We call it the French Festival down here. Yeah. Sorry. Pardon me. It's all right. Um, and um, I had two shows and I, because I was doing a show with my sister, which I wanted to do. And then I'd said yes to this other one without then thinking, oh, I actually have to rehearse for this and promote yeah. this and organize this. <laughs> all, yeah. For some reason, all I had in my head was, 
the gig, just being yeah, on stage I'll just doing rock up and gig. do it. Yeah. yeah. And I just went, Oh my God, what have I done? And so yeah, when they pulled the pin on it, I actually was so relieved. I thought, yeah. oh, thank God for that. Like all the pressure of rehearsal and yeah. balancing family life and everything and p- pushing at the promotion and all that sort of stuff was like, oh thank God yeah. that's not happening. But yeah, as time went on, it became like, oh. Okay, so yeah, everything's cancelled now, and yeah. for months now, obviously we weren't locked down, but people weren't doing anything. No one was taking bookings, and no one was encouraging groups yeah. of people. And you couldn't dance. There was no dancing. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll tell you what, but yeah, and I said to myself, "Oh, just remember this time how good it is." Yeah, <laughs> and then you forget. But no, I've really pulled back from gigs since then. Like I've really, yeah. and 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 I think too, just looking at you know, my family life and the balance that we have. Like you said about before, we're talking about the monetary reward for mm. for doing a gig. You yeah, also have to look at, you know, the emotional strain and the physical toll. Totally. And I just yeah. also got sick of carting my stuff around. Like just the yeah. thought of loading the car just made me oh go, my God, I just don't want to do it. Like I complain know. constantly about being a drummer. I'm like, why? Yes, this all is your the, it's the worst life choice. Like Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't change it, but yeah, totally. It's I for me to say yes to things, usually there has to be a house kit. Yeah. Like it has to be a gig I really, really want to do if I have to BYO my own stuff. Yeah. Um because you know, maybe I was spoiled when I was in Melbourne and there were lots of house kits and venues, but yeah, yeah. I'm just that it has to be the this the path of least resistance, yes. I suppose, is yeah. my philosophy for taking on new things. Um yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I do a lot of, like, you know, guest lecturing and stuff in unis um, with music students and, you know, younger people coming into the industry and I always, one thing I always say as a piece of advice is, like, if someone asks you to do something, before you say yes, just pause, pause. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Because once that yes is out there, you can't retract it. Yeah. And, like, you've yeah. probably said yes without really understanding the true scope of of what's within that opportunity, you know, because, like, you're probably just going to get a text that says, hey, you're free on June 16th for a gig. End of text. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. We, yeah. Need, we need a little bit more detail here. Like, you yeah. know, what time? What's the sound check? What's the repertoire? How many hours do I need to commit to learning this material? Mm-hmm. Do I need to bring my own gear? What will I wear? What's the fee? Like, yeah. you really, you need to... I always say, like, you should reply with a big laundry list of questions mm. um, and, you know, really, like, put them on the back foot. Like, this is a way that everyone in, in this industry, I think, can be trying to educate each other as to what's an acceptable working environment mm. um, because, like you said before, there's so many young people, unfortunately, who'll just jump at the chance to do something for exposure. And, like, I'm, I'm not saying that doesn't have a place. It does. Yeah. Um, yeah. For a very, very limited time in your mm-hmm. early career. Um, yeah. But it's, I think the way that we fall over is like, well, when is the point when you transition out of that? Um, and who tells you when to transition out of it? And unfortunately, there's no one else standing there being like, okay, it's time to do this now. Mm, um, yeah. You know, we found that coming back to Perth. I think that's why my husband and I were both completely run ragged at the end of what's today's the 2nd of January. So the end of last year, we, yeah. you know, transitioned back. We packed up our house in Melbourne on four days' notice to be able to get into WA. Um, So, like, when I say it was quick, it was quick. Um, Mm. You know, we really just had to hit the ground running, 
readjust to living here, readjust to living in a pre-pandemic society, drop all of our trauma or somehow like hurriedly process it. Yeah. And then like start getting back into the music community and be like, hey, we're here, we want to work, you know, that was massive transition. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. starting again in a new city is just the same, I think, as as starting your career when you're younger. Yeah. Yeah, It's just like that process of having a do all that networking and stuff again. Um, that's, yeah, it took a toll for sure. I think it's good to have that first sort of 12 months back in Perth, like under the belt now. Even though I was from here, I hadn't been here for a long time and he hadn't mm. been here at all. So, yeah, it, yeah, it's like basically starting afresh, isn't it? Because, yeah, yeah, that, um, that was something. Um, I had, um, I'm not sure if you know Georgia Field. She's a Melbourne. I do. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing. Yes, yeah. yeah, she is. She's amazing. I love Georgia. So she came on the podcast um, in its first season and she sort of related the time she had off when she had her children mm-hmm. to basically starting her career again because yeah, totally. you're going back into venues. There might be a different, you know, manager and they're like, oh, yeah. who are you? Or what, who, yeah, what are you exactly. going to bring? You know, yeah. you know, it was, that was really challenging for her. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so- and I think one of the things that I was really lucky actually when I had when I became a, a mother was that it wasn't like I disappeared from society because I was on this sort of mat leave and the rest of the world kept going. The whole world stopped. So it yeah. was actually there was like a bit of solidarity in that I was protected from that, I suppose, unique isolation in that everyone was isolated yeah. um, and everyone was sort of going through that existential crisis of like, oh, my God, should I just stop playing? music mm. and become a data analyst yeah. <laughs> um everyone was going through that at the same time so that was i would say that was one of the silver linings for sure mm. it's only weather but the clouds that roll across the sky on certain days too slow Your daughter's two and a half. Yeah. Um, so what do your days look like now? Yeah, so we are, uh, she has been going to childcare. She started pretty early. Um, I think that was because I wanted, to, I wanted to go back to work at the time in Melbourne because we were in lockdown and I, I was just really struggling, um, you know, with having no life. Um so we put her in and she started going three days a week and she's kept going three days a week, um, which has been really good. And she now goes to my mum's as well, like another sort of one or two days a week. So actually mm-hmm. we're extremely privileged and fortunate is basically what I'm trying to say in that we have close to five days a week of, of care for her, yeah. which means in those five days my husband and I are both pretty much just flat out working Um I wouldn't say that we get a lot of time to practice, even though we have all of that, with all of that care, like I'm studying as well. So my course Mm. load is sort of one to two days a week. Then I work, I work as a peer support worker now um, for a business where we support um, people on NDIS for mental illness. Um, So I work two to two and a half days a week. Then my course load, I would say is at least 20 to 30 hours a week. And then, yeah, there's all this, like, practice that I'm allegedly doing, which I can tell you in full confidence that I just never do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and oh. after she, look, after my daughter goes to bed at night, it's so funny. I, I often, I'm like, there's parents out there that keep going after their kid goes to bed, but it's, I'm not one of them. Like that's, that is the end of my day. Like yeah. come 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, I'm a vegetable. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm good at getting up early actually. He is too because he was, yeah, yeah he's, we're, we're an early rising family, my daughter included. Um, so I will usually we will set our alarms for about 4.30 or 5 and get up an hour before her. Mm-hmm. And that time, for me, that's really, really integral time for sort of self-care and like I'll do my own yoga practice then and just like, mm-hmm. yeah, just get a jump on the day, maybe go and make a quick list of what else I need to get done. Um, and, yeah, mm-hmm. once she's awake, obviously, it's just like a long-form negotiation in getting dressed and eating rice bubbles um, <laughs> before, <laughs> before we can leave the house. And, oh. yeah, that's sort of the routine really. Weekends, yeah. I usually try to keep like the Saturday morning as a really quiet family time um, because, you know, she's got a big week too, like yeah. being yeah. out of the house every day. So that's, yeah, even though the weekends is like, you know, it's it's work time. I, I reckon, yeah, I'd say Niels and I both probably work in some formal capacity seven days a week. We're chipping mm-hmm. away at stuff, I would say, seven days a week. Um, yeah. We're using her nap time and, like, tag teaming on the weekends for sure um, to get stuff done. But, yeah, that Saturday morning is, like, sort of the sacred family time of, yeah, just being really slow and in our jammies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing, like, I don't know, I don't want to judge other people in the way they do things, but... I could not be bothered rushing around on the weekends. Like I feel like we we yeah. rushed around enough during the week and same, being respectful that your kids are rushing around too. Totally. They need time yeah. to yeah. to reset and readjust and de- decompress and yeah, all that sort of sure. thing too. It's like like we've we've managed to avoid Saturday morning sport for yeah. nearly 15 years. Oh wow, that's actually um, remarkable. <laughs> yes, it is. And we've been very lucky, but now my youngest has started playing tennis. So it's like 8 30 yeah. start, tennis is starts at 8 30. I'm like, oh my God, what is this world? <laughs> like Yeah, I know. I mean, look, when I was a kid, I went to school on a Saturday morning for concert band. Oh um, yeah, right. So yeah, I had before school and after school every day. Yeah. Um, and then my parents would have to drive me on a Saturday morning to band and wait in the car for three hours. Oh jeepers. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I guess things were different then because you you could trust your kids to go out and make their own way around a little bit more and like sort of get public transport. Like I don't know what it's like in Mount Gambia, but I think you know when I sort of forecast what it's like to be the parent of a teenage girl, which I will be. Mm. I'm like, oh my god, it's things are going to have to be so it's just so different to the way that my my parents were so relaxed and bohemian with us. We were just (laughs) off doing our own thing, like. You know, lucky everything worked out fine. But yeah, we were on a pretty long leash. Um and yeah. I don't I I just don't think you can parent that way probably oh. anymore with the same confidence, unfortunately. Yeah. I wish yes. that you could. Yeah. I think about yeah. it all the time. Yeah. I, and yeah, the whole social media thing, that's been that's a tricky one yeah. to navigate too because so I didn't hard. we didn't grow up with that ourselves. Um yeah. and how do you sort of I don't know. It's a tricky one. That's that's one that's a constant work in progress. Yeah, totally. But... It's so hard. Like I'm really conscious of being on my phone in front of Matilda. Um, and you know, the more that she's going to see me on my phone, the more she's going to desire a phone. Is this cool mm. thing to play with? So yeah, I do. Yeah, try to sort of be in the other room if I have to like send a quick text or you know get back to somebody. But it's also yeah. that thing, I suppose, of just if someone needs a response from me and I'm with my child. 
they will they they can just wait until yeah. until I'm ready to respond to them. Like yeah. I definitely don't feel that pressure to send someone an instant response. Like I think that there's enough there's enough conversation and visibility around parenting and, and working for yourself now that I think mm. we can all support each other to I've had other mums say to me like, oh I can't get back to you right now. My kid's like doing a poo in a park in on the lawn. <laughs> I'm like, can relate. I understand. <laughs> there is, you don't even need to write that message. Like, yeah, exactly. just get back yes. to me later. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. And I think, um, yeah, in the same way, I feel like businesses, because of the social media and because they're on, like, it's 24 7, people feel like they can send people messages anytime, day totally. or night. And I'm yeah. guilty of it because sometimes I'm, I'm thinking, so guilty of oh, it. I text just people at six people. in the morning because I'm like, hello, world. <laughs> yeah, Let's you're get ready this to go. going. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I feel like people have to be really strong with their boundaries and then people yes. have to respect that. It's like yes, people are going to do what's going So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> It's a whole new world, isn't it? We're all just learning to navigate it together. But. So you say about you working on the weekend. Um, yeah. Do you ever feel like I like to talk to all my mums about this concept of mum guilt mm. and, and I, I hate the term. I wish it didn't exist, mm. but I know it does. Um, what does that mean to you or how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it certainly exists and I think it's an almost inescapable phenomenon. Um, yeah, a couple oh, earlier, well, last year now, um, 2022, so I went away to Tasmania for 10 days um, and I did a, a creative music intensive with the Australian Art Orchestra, yeah. which when I applied for it, I mean, I started the year last year, like I was still breastfeeding, like I breastfed until she was just under two. Um, yeah. And I just applied for it and thought, you know what, if this is meant to happen, I'll get in, they'll give me a place, I'll rediscover what it was like to be a muso again and like be a creative person because I'd really deprioritized being a creative in my own right. That whole time really I'd say I was living in Melbourne. Like I just really focused mm. on festival work and which is a different type of creative work and problem solving, but it's not writing mm. and playing music. Um mm. yeah. so that was a really that was a really big thing, you know, going away for such a long time. Um and I'd weaned her by then, but still I remember right up until I got on the plane. I was like, I'm going to turn around and go home. This is crazy. Like, who am I to take 10 days away from my child and to put that load onto my partner? And, yeah, I did did have a lot of guilt for sure um, about what, like I said before, what what the cost of that was for everyone else. And, you know, we're lucky that we have so much family support, so I really just didn't have to worry about her. She could not have cared less that I was gone. (laughs) (laughs) definitely was harder for me but yeah, yeah I it was that was a big shift for me going on that trip um I'm so glad I did it like mm-hmm. it was there was about 25 of us from around Australia and a couple of people came from overseas and we were in the central highlands of Tasmania super remote little you know village it was just just our group yeah. each day um and one of the other producers 
from the orchestra who was sort of the operations manager, he brought his partner and their young child down from Melbourne and their child was very similar age to my daughter. Yeah. And I had this moment where we were watching a performance um, which was a very, very moving performance of some um, Aboriginal singers and song makers from up in Arnhem Land and I was sitting there watching and I was watching this mum play with her boy, her little boy and yeah. I just my whole being just imploded into tears. Like it was just like this catharsis of really profoundly missing my daughter. But at the same time, I was so grateful for being able to be there. But I think just realising, really, really realising in my core for the first time that my whole identity was completely different and that that person that I was watching play with her child was me. Like that was Mm. myself and that was... Yeah, I just sort of hadn't really realised it and looked at it from the outside like that until that moment. Um, yeah. But, yeah, the guilt that I had to sort of wade through, I think, to take that time for myself was immense. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, there's yeah. always like people, and I feel like people make comments as well, you know, if you if you happen to be related to anyone who parented in a different generation, it's very hard to escape yeah. <laughs> other people's points of view. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So... Yeah, it is It is a thing um, and I think that's probably for me why because I do, like I said, you know, I've got her almost in five days of care, which is a lot. So the time that I do spend with her, I want to be really, really present and I think that's for me I'm able to sort of put the mum gear on the back burner because I know that I am really present with that time mm. and nothing else is, is allowed to intrude into the time that we spend together, you know, like when she comes home at the end of the day, we play, we have a dance party, like. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm a fairly present parent. Maybe I'm just telling myself that to evade the mum kill. But, <laughs> um, oh, but yeah, I usually, I, I wouldn't say that my thoughts are elsewhere when I'm with her, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. So after you went on that trip, was it then did you feel like, I guess you, you talked about the realising who your, your identity had changed. Was that mm. then when you came back, did you then find it difficult to then have those two parts of your identity coexist? Was that a challenge then or was that really No, yeah. No, I haven't found it to be a challenge. I think, you know what, it actually makes it a lot easier is the fact that I'm able to share music with my daughter and it's such a huge, I can see in her that that's something that she loves. Um, And I guess I'm quite fortunate. Like, I mean, for example, she wouldn't let, she never lets me, of course, play my instrument at home. I'm not allowed to do any practice ever because <laughs> toddlers are very self-centered. Like they like the world to revolve around them. So if yeah. if your attention is elsewhere, she, and she's not like a wallflower about it, she's like a you know flaming volcano of rage about the fact <laughs> that I'm not paying attention to her. So yeah, I was never able to even even like you know anecdotally play the u- ukulele and sing her a song was not allowed so I was thinking when I was in Tassie I was like what what's the get around for this because this is really pissing me off yeah um yeah. and so I thought she's she she wants it to be about her so I'll write her a song about her yeah. and so I wrote this song about her which I've recently actually recorded and I'm just going to go on a release that I'm doing in a few months time yeah. but that was you know one sort of I was just looking for creative ways to bring her into the that world so that we could share it together because it's not going to mm-hmm. look the same as when I wasn't a parent and I could go into a room and sit down and have uninterrupted time working on songs or playing my instrument. I can only do that when she's not in the house or when mm-hmm. she's in theory asleep. Like it's 
getting that time is hard, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. So there's other ways that we can engage together in music. Um, luckily, that's something that she really loves. Like I took her to a gig last night. There's a band that plays here first Sunday of every month at um at the Fish Pub and it's just so family-friendly and such a vibe. Like I actually, the same band's been going for more than 30 years, so I used to go and oh. see this, this same band with my parents as oh, a child. Awesome. It's so <laughs> wicked. Like, yeah, being able to kind of bring it into the, the new generation, take her and... Yeah, yeah, lucky for me, she does, she loves to boogie. Like I've set a pretty strong role model that the dance floor is a place for like cutting sick and like yeah. letting your inhibitions go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she's got good staying power on the dance floor and that's <laughs> that was, it's just so much fun to yeah, include that. her in that. So um, I feel fortunate that it's something that she's willing to get on board with because I definitely, if, if that wasn't the case, there's no way I'd, I could bring myself to force her to love music. Like I... Yeah. I couldn't care less if whether or not she, you know, wants to become a musician despite having two musician parents. I just, I, I suppose I care that she feels a, a sense of release from listening to music and a sense of joy and happiness and fulfilment um, on some level because that's what I get from it. So, yeah, trying yeah. to share that with her has, I would say, been the number one joy as a parent um, yeah. has been being able to share that with her. Sunny weather, but the clouds that roll across the sky appear on days. You know, the worst thing you can do with music is tell someone how it's supposed to be. Like there's, yeah, yeah they're really, and I think there's so much of that that I see, in, you know, particularly studying music at a tertiary level, like trying to unlearn the learning of someone being like, this is this is jazz, this is classical, like all these stupid labels that we put on ourselves, which mm. for me coming back to Perth has actually been really beautiful and liberating because I'm, fine, I'm, I'm in the part of my life now where I just don't care anymore about any of that stuff. Like mm. I, you know, I was sort of was identified so strongly with this like box of, you know, being a very classically educated person for so long and only being, you know, playing in orchestras and that was what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, I couldn't possibly play jazz or I couldn't be a drummer. Um, and then when I went to Melbourne to live, I remember going to a jam session one of the first weeks I was there with a friend and he said, are you going to get up? And I was like, no. Mm-hmm. And then I just had a moment of realising like no one knows me. Like I could get up right now and just for all they know, I'm a badass drummer. Like maybe I just, <laughs> maybe I just like start something new, you know. And so I just sort of got up and was like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say this is the thing that I do. And yeah, yeah o- overcoming that self stigma, I think, is a really a big. It takes time. Um, mm. I would say that's the best thing about yeah being in my 30s and just not caring what people think anymore. It's definitely. Yeah. Because it's it's your it's you everyone's just their own worst enemy really like that's what takes the longest to overcome. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a common theme with people I chat to. It's like thirties yeah. and forties. It's like literally you could not give a shit. It's yeah. wonderful, and you sort yeah, of think, God, I wish great. I'd always <laughs> been like this. But just think of like your like think it. back on your younger years, and it's oh. like, oh my god, what did I think I. What, what did I think was wrong with me? Like, yeah, honestly. that's it, isn't it? And you think all the things that you could have done, but you didn't do because you held yourself back. Yeah, it's like, bloody hell. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it? I can tell um, I'm super old now because I find myself thinking things like "youth is wasted on the young." I'm like, <laughs> I'm an old person. I'm there. I've arrived. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Now, is there anything else that you want to mention about what it's like being a mum and doing your thing? <laughs> oh, God, just that I just don't don't get it right more than half the time or or any of the time ever. <laughs> I don't think any of us do. I think it's just not. It's I think it's so thing. funny because, you know, sometimes you have days that you just think, I nailed it, and then the next day it's just like the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like the time can change so, so quickly. Um, yeah. You know, you go from, and it's, I think this year I've, or the past year, maybe at, we were just really, you know, our, our immune systems were compromised from being in lockdown, but just the sickness just really got to us. Um, yeah. And that was a really difficult thing to contend with. Um, so, yeah, we had days where everything was like perfect. And then the next day, like, you know, my daughter's in emergency on a respirator. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> they can just tank so quickly. Um, no, I don't have anything else really. I've got no words of wisdom. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> ah, just try to you know take it one day at a time. Um, yeah. I think everyone just needs to be more gentle on themselves. That's probably and particularly where we are now. I don't want to say post pandemic because we're still in it, but I think mm. everyone's very tired. Actually, I think there's a deep fatigue and exhaustion. Um, for people in the creative industry uh, that, you know, we're picking up the tab now for the last couple of years, like mm. in terms of, you know, emotionally and the energy and it's taken a toll. Um, and yeah. I think I think just to acknowledge that for ourselves um, as well as, you know, acknowledge that's the space that we're holding for our children and, and for other mums as well. Like I'm mm. so lucky I've got some of my, my best friends um, who I went, to uni with you know a million years ago and we all studied music together there we're all mums over here together um at the same yeah. time and it's so funny because even though our, finally after years we all live in the same place the majority of our contact with each other is just sending each other like frantic voice memos and never <laughs> seeing each other in person <laughs> oh. voice messages being like I really want to see you it's been three and a half months <laughs> <laughs> Then you finally see each other oh. and it's just like you get five minutes of conversation because your kids are just running around oh, doing it. Yeah, you know, someone's trying to throw themselves in front of a car. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. My sister and I often joke about that. <laughs> like, it was nice to catch up. I don't feel like I spoke to you at no, all. But <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So I think, you know, just trying to hold that space for each other as well, but also know that you can you can take up that space. That's something that I'm still mm. working on that very much, just allowing myself to take up the space of, feeling tired and feeling overwhelmed sometimes. Um, and I, I'm also very guilty of putting myself down because I've only got one child. So I often invalidate my own parenting challenges because there's only one of her, um, which is really stupid. And I'm mm. trying to work on not doing that. <laughs> um, comparing myself to oh. people that have more children and being like, oh, they've got it worse than me. Um, mm. Yeah, those are all things that I'm working yeah. on for sure. No. No, good on you. Look, thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. It's been lovely chatting to you, meeting no, it's you. It's been so lovely. And thanks for yeah. just like running the podcast. It's so awesome. Oh, it's, I, I just love it. I just love talking to people and yeah. uh, I don't know. I just, it's just a lot of fun. I, I don't know. It's just a fun thing. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for your company today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to consider leaving us a review following or subscribing to the podcast or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes. 
I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum.